Hey everyone, I'm Lahani, and welcome to The Nerd Mix, a podcast where we will nerd out about TV, movies, pop culture, and more. This month's theme is back to school. For our next class, we are signing up for psychology and trying to understand why we have the lore we do. Our first topic is Monster Under the Bed. The history of the monster under the bed is a variation of the boogeyman that has very well existed for centuries. There are so many countries that have their own version. Parents use this as a device to scare their misbehaving children to get back in line. Now, there's no official appearance since everyone has their own version, but the boogeyman is usually a pure embodiment of terror. There is no official description or set appearance for the boogeyman except that it's a pure embodiment of terror. Now, parents usually use this story to tell kids, you know, stop sucking your thumbs or the boogeyman will come get you or other natural childlike behavior. But I mean, that is pretty insane to tell your kids that a huge guy or girl or figure or monster is gonna come get them if they stop sucking, if they don't stop sucking their thumbs. You probably are aware of the United States version one, the boogeyman. You know, he hides under your bed, in your closet, and he comes and gets you. But the rest of the world has their own version. In Latin America, there's the sack man, or popularly known as hombre del saco, or in Portuguese, homi do saco, or el roba chicos, child stealer. And child stealer he is. You might be wondering why they call him the sack man too. Because this version of the boogeyman literally has a sack to take away bad children in the dead of night. This is vastly different from the other guy who goes around the world visiting kids around Christmas time. Another one is El Coco, Kukui, Kukua, Kuko. Mythical ghost monster, equivalent to the boogeyman found in also many Latino and Hispanic countries. Yeah, I know. We really want our children to behave. The coca is a male being, while coca is the female version of the mythical monster. There's no description really, but apparently it's ugly as hell. Baba Yaga is a monster often portrayed as a witch living in the forest that kidnaps badly behaving children and presumably eats them. It is referenced in a children's game of the same name, which involves one child being blindfolded and the other children trying to avoid being caught. I believe this is Russian culture. Now, there's psychology behind it. There is a theory that suggests that the boogeyman and the monster under the bed are, or were, very real indeed, and that our fear is a natural evolution towards this threat. There is a theory that comes from that it might be from our hunter-gatherer days, where children would fear bedtime because of the threat of wild animals. And now, since we don't have that really in our environment, we use it towards other things. So we still have that internal fear, but parents use it towards making children behave. It's, I guess, an evolutionary feel. Some professors believe that we possess this evolutionary fear that doesn't match our current environment because of maybe our hunter-gatherer days where children would fear bedtime because of the threat of wild animals. If you buy into this theory, these predators were the original boogeyman. Next one we have is vampires. Now the history behind vampires varies from country to country, just like the boogeyman. 
In European folklore, vampires were undead beings. They visited loved ones, neighborhoods, basically anywhere they were before when they were alive. And um, they wore shrouds and often described as bloated, ruddy, dark, just menacing or creepy, something that gave you an uneasy feeling. And um, that's vastly different from the vampires we have now. Now they look like reanimated corpses, in some cases sexy. Now this dates back to like 19th century. Now we know them as undead. They look like us. They have sharp teeth and they're demons and some myths or they're simply undead. Some people use the lore as the next chapter of human evolution or simply another species. Now, how do you identify a vampire? There's so many different ways, but back then, a method of finding a vampire's grave involved leading a virgin boy through a graveyard or church grounds on virgin stallion. Usually the horse was black, but sometimes they would use a white horse, one of the two. And if you took that horse to said grave, it would freak out at that grave. If a corpse that looked recently healthy that was in the grave, that's another reason why people thought that was a vampire is they were still understanding how death worked so if they buried that person right before winter then that person would look very fresh when it came back to summertime as opposed to others so they were just kind of understanding death and how the body decomposed so a lot of their theories on the vampires that were in the grave wasn't so great but once the vampire was out of the grave they had other theories this included they didn't like garlic, they were burned by holy water when it came in contact with them, they were cold to the touch, their teeth were sharp, or their whole entire teeth were just a bunch of fangs, they were demonic it seemed by nature, a lot of different things. Now just like the boogeyman there's variations of the vampire. In Japan there's the, remember in this podcast we don't pronounce anything right, the Nukakobi. Kukubi, yeah, new Kukubi is a being whose head and neck detach from its body to fly about seeking human prey at night. In Malaysia, there's the Penangalan. I know I didn't pronounce that right. Penangalan. And she is a woman who obtains her beauty through the active use of black magic or other unnatural means and is most commonly described in folklore as a dark or demonic nature. She is able to detach her fanged head, which flies around in the night looking for blood, typically from pregnant women, which is kind of smart. Two for one. But also weird I said that. In China, there's the Jiangxi, sometimes called Chinese vampires from, you know, people in the West. They are reanimated corpses that hop around killing living creatures to absorb their life essence from their victims. Now, the psychology behind vampires and why we have this lore is that this was way before we had many vaccinations and medicines, and there was a lot of mass hysteria, and people didn't understand the cause of misfortunes and other explanations. When someone was murdered or the crops failed and evil must be afoot and not caused by ordinary townspeople, that's what they usually used, that there was a demon behind it, and it was a vampire. Another thing is murder in a small village was not common, and who but the dead could commit such an act so horrific? Vampires provided an easy explanation, and by staking the corpse in the heart, it was easily solved. Then the village was safe once more, and at least 
until the next occurrence. In pop culture, we see a lot of vampires everywhere. I mean, most recently we had a crazy phase where we saw vampires in our movies, TV, books, everything. Um, and that happened around the Twilight series, but this isn't the first time we saw vampires get a huge bump. I mean, then there was the Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there was a movie, then there was a TV show, and then a spin-off called Angel. There was also Underworld, way before all of this began, Bram Stoker's Dracula, then Nosferatu, Van Helsing, Interview with a Vampire, Being Human. Vampires have always been around. Even the CW had a couple of different shows with the Vampire Diaries, and then had a spin-off with the originals. Our next topic is werewolves. The history behind werewolves is many, from eating the meat of a wolf mixed with human flesh to being conceived under the new moon, to having drunk the water that a wolf has drunk from, or even drinking the water from a paw print from a wolf. Some legends said that werewolves had a wolf skin that they could wear in order to change into wolf form. Today, being bitten by a werewolf and turning into a wolf on the full moon is considered the primary way to become one. I think it's pretty easy to identify a werewolf if you are looking for one, especially during the full moon. But to get rid of a werewolf is particularly what you would need. Some people get rid of them with a silver bullet, sometimes it's a curse that you have to reverse with the witch or the person who had just cursed them in general. There's wolf's bane, and I believe that's the most popular. The psychology behind werewolf is the idea of a wolf in sheep's clothing. The fear that those among us may be violent, aggressive, and predatory is very real. A werewolf can change its shape, tricking the innocent into believing the wolf will be easy to spot. But in fact, the wolf looks just like anybody else, and may even participate in the wolf hunt and pretend to be helpful. In our everyday lives, we may encounter those who appear friendly but may mean us harm. This may not be a regular occurrence, but at some point each of us has encountered someone who we thought were a friend, and then they betray us. That is one of the reasons why we may have werewolves as a lore, because this hurt is so deep that only something animal could do this to you. Popular places you may have seen werewolves is almost just as easy as vampires. There's Twilight, Being Human, Harry Potter, Underworld, the Wolfmen, um, Werewolf in London, and so many other places. The history of witches is an interesting one. Lore of witches have been around for a very long time, from the Greek enchantress Circe to medieval witches persecuted during the burning times. Historically, witches have often been condemned in the name of religion as a threat to someone's livelihood. Witches in itself have been interesting in the United States too. Even whispering the word witch could get you tortured stone to death. Can you believe in our history that there were people capable of manipulating life around us and if they could do that, we stoned them to death? That didn't sound particularly great, but that's what some cultures did. In other cultures, particularly tribal cultures, witch doctors and shaman of the same nature were in positions of honor because they could do things beyond this earth, which to me makes more sense. I mean, someone who could make remedies and contact with the spirits, get rid of demons, gave rights to birth and death, and we decide to kill him? That's a no-brainer. You don't. Psychology. There are so many reasons why we believe in witches. 
Midwives often are accused of witchcraft due to their association with birth and sometimes death of the mother or child in childbirth. When they assist the birth, it was believed that midwives had a unique ability to change, deform, or do something with the child. Midwives also had an extensive knowledge about medicine, how the body works, and how to protect the body against diseases. Since that knowledge was still mysterious and not known to many people, it must have been witchcraft, even the healing powers. By now, we're very aware that society hasn't always treated women right, particularly with their bodies or rather body functions, you know, menstruation, pregnancy, birthing, and menopause. I mean, women were considered unclean or unfit for regular activities during menstruation and pregnancy. Some cultures secluded them, put them away to a different spot until they were back to normal. Old age was a dangerous time for women as well as great beauty. Old women and beautiful young women were often targets for jealousy, fear, accusations of witchcraft from, unfortunately, other women or scorned men. So it was basically another way to put women down. Now we've all seen the movies, fake spells, real spells, online, on the internet, and a lot of the times it has to do with living tissues of enemies or beloved ones such as fingernails or hair clippings. I guess we feel vulnerable about our mortality and we fear that because we can't control it, and if someone else has it, then they're controlling us and they own us. This way we can justify how we lost control of the situation, a behavior towards a loved one. All sorts of misfortunes from lost crops and loved ones can come from a witch's jealousy or spell. However, conquering our own fears and accepting what we cannot change will tame those wily witches that we think are after us. Maybe it's just easier to cope that way. We see a lot of witches in pop culture, and we've seen a lot of witches in throughout history, with the Salem witch trials happening in the U.S., to pop culture where we have Bewitched, Glinda the Good Witch from The Wizard of Oz, the Harry Potter series, which show witches in a positive light and have a whole entire culture. You know, guys, I always look for a reason to mention Harry Potter. But most recently, we still have evil witches, such as Once Upon a Time and other popular stories. Zombies. The history of zombies come from real-life Haitian practices. The name zombie likely comes from the word non-zombie, which means spirit of a dead person. In Haiti, villagers who are problematic may become a candidate for zombification by the Haitian voodoo priests called bokers. Bokers will give the victim magic powder which contains ingredients from the porcupine fish or the puffer fish. These fish contain tetrodotoxin, which is a deadly nerve toxin. Some of the symptoms of this toxin include numbness, weakness, vomiting, and loss of voice. Breathing and heartbeat is reduced so much that the person is mistaken for dead and buried by the victim's family. Zombies are then dug up by the bonker and in the service of bonkers, like working the fields. Modern zombies are typically portrayed as mindless corpses reduced to basically nothing except what they need for life. They need to feed and sleep and all that stuff, just basic human needs. Zombies eat human flesh and have most of their human elements stripped away. In movies, zombies are typically slow moving with their arms sticking out and little intelligence, but as we've seen from pop culture, that has kind of changed. Now the psychology behind it is um, the flesh-eating zombies are terrifying enough, the idea of becoming a zombie is far worse. Once bitten by a zombie, the victim will become one as well, losing their humanity in the process. This indicates our fear of losing our will and becoming a slave to our needs. By becoming mindless corpses, we lose our ability to choose, to think, and most of all, to love. 
Zombies do not recognize their loved ones and will kill heedlessly. The reckless nature of zombies strikes our fear of extreme violence, which is echoed in our modern society of murders, mass shootings, and war. Some movies, such as Warm Bodies, depict love as a cure for zombification. Or there's other ones where there's a medicine, you know, the main character is in search of some kind of medicine to revert people back, especially their loved ones. By becoming masters of our will and choosing love over basic needs, we can defeat the zombie within. Pop culture references include, of course, The Walking Dead, one of the most popular shows of all time, World War Z, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead, Warm Bodies, 28 Days Later, and Resident Evil. For our final topic, we have Changelings. It's for those really nerdy people and I think one of the most important lore to learn and the psychology behind it. Changelings have been around for a long time, stemming from Europe. A changeling is a fairy child that has been left in place for a human baby that has been stolen. There are many reasons as to why Faye stole babies, one of which is that they are very old and are dying soon, and they wanted them to live in comfort, so apparently there's nothing better than living as a human baby. I bet you're wondering how to spot a changeling. In Germany, if you just cook some eggshells and bam, the changeling will confess. If that doesn't work, try burning the changeling in the oven. But Jesus, don't be wrong. Another way is hitting and whipping the changeling, which in my case, I guess my mom thought I was a changeling whenever I was bad. Now if you think that was risky, Ireland had some ballsy practices. If you throw a changeling into a fire, the changeling will go up the chimney to be returned, and then your baby will be returned. But I mean, what if that was actually your baby? In Scandinavia, they play it safe. A lot of their fairy tales involve iron. They use it to test the baby to be a changeling or not, by simply putting the iron on the skin. The psychology behind the changeling is actually one of the saddest ones. When the term changeling came to be, it was in use to um, fairy beings swapped for a human child. The sad truth behind why the lore of changelings came to be, unfortunately, is to explain certain deformities or developmentally disabled children that were unexplained, especially for autistic children. Looking back at reports and the details of certain lore, many of the descriptions for changelings actually match descriptions with regressive autism, Down syndrome, cystic fibrosis, and more. I know, it's really sad. Apparently, it's easier to believe that a demon or a fairy had to do something with your child than it naturally having um, a couple of developmental issues. Essentially, it's easier to blame something than accept that certain shit happens, or a face-saving way of explaining mental illness and disabilities. You have to understand back then, your child was a reflection of your foothold in society, your future. I mean, these were the times that they sold their daughters for a price, so this society wasn't exactly forward. If we had to compare it to something of today, it would probably be akin to today's anti-vaxxers. In some cases, people would try to go back and return changelings by praying, begging, or leaving the child behind in the forest near the Fey realm. Typically, children that were accused of being changelings suffered greatly from either abuse or murder. An attribute of changelings is eating a lot without regard, and for poorer families, this was a burden as each member of the family needed to be a contributing member. So if you were taking away from the family, then you were taking the odds away from the family's survival. So a lot of kids from poorer families were usually described as changelings. 
Now, for pop culture, there aren't too many that I can think of, but there's that Netflix series, Troll Hunters, where there's been changelings replaced with one of the main character's kids. Supernatural, there were a bunch of changelings that were swapped out for a town's children, and not the Angelina Jolie movie, but a lot of other nerdy shows have that as a storyline. Have a lore you guys really like? Have a lore I should have discussed? Share with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure to follow us to get the latest on each episode, the theme for the month, and Nerd Mix News. Want to take it to the next level? Join our Facebook group and join the conversation. Until next week.